Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. I don't like to brag, but I too have juice like iced, like high C. I messed that up. Well, you don't like to brag. I'll, you couldn't even get it out. Your humility wouldn't take, allow it. Take two. I don't like to brag, but I too have juice like high C. We'll see which version of that the audience hears. <laughs> man. Yeah. Like, man. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. I do enjoy bragging. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Hello. Not very good at the bragging myself. Although uh, I, I do think there are people in my life who would say, yeah, you're fine at it. You do more of it than you think. <laughs> I really like Jed's move of very confidently declaring, <laughs> I like bragging, but then not doing it. He just wanted us exactly. to know that about himself. That's right. It was a very uh, Tracy Jordan from 30 Rock. <laughs> Don't let me get off on a rant here. Thank you. <laughs> As ever, Jed revealing himself to be the Tracy Jordan of the show in so very many ways. Well, we have a great show lined up for you. We have some excellent questions. But first, we have to declare some follow-up emergencies. What? We've had some things sent in that uh, are based on uh, previous emergencies. Actually, Wait, is this like a lightning round situation, Matt? I think we might cover a couple here. It's been a, it's been a minute. So you may remember from a couple episodes ago, we we looked at the custom Super Jesus Christ action figure. <laughs> oh, yeah. And his uh, battles with Wolverine and the Hulk and Kratos from God of War and whatever other action figures the guy who uh, painted him had laying around. <laughs> <laughs> so weirdly enough, before that episode went up, uh, we got a, a message from uh, awesome uh, podcast listener, Sarah, who sent us a video of a different insane christian action toy this is what on uh instagram from uh best christian memes which is the rare uh instagram account name that does follow itself up this is a jesus transformer which um, we'll, we'll put the link in the episode description but to to describe it uh it starts off as a very which you've normally seen like a crucifix a kind of very Catholic style, uh, you know, the, the little guy on it, you know, the iron R.I. plate. And then uh, the crucifix kind of swoops around to become uh, body armor, and you end with kind of a an Optimus Prime Jesus Christ mashup <laughs> at the end. Oh, yeah. With kind of a Crusader helmet on, and it's so it, <laughs> it's hardcore. More than meets the eye. That's oh, that's right. very good. Here, I'd like to just pause for a moment and, and be resentful about my childhood. Please. So I had the super lame Christian toys, right? Like, <laughs> like, oh, like no. Salty, the singing psalm book. All right. Oh, um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> wait, for real. Wait, wait. I, I need to hear more about Salty, the singing song book. Really? Yeah. You don't know Salty? Yeah. We, no. We, I, I know about the Salty. My, my, my wife also had all the Salty, uh, Cassette tapes, Jed. Okay, so Christy knows what's up. Christy's aware. Uh, um, this will not help our listeners, and you know what? Uh, very little on this show does, I find. I, I'm going, uh, in real time, I'm going to send an image to Glenn for his amusement. You think I'm making this up? This was my childhood. Behold it and despair. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Okay, look. If your if your action figure is a book, I mean, 
that's no no i mean i i like reading and stuff but it's like no man well, well this is my point and, and I, I take us back to being openly resentful of my childhood for a moment so i had salty the singing blue songbook today we have jacked jesus fighting kratos and we have optimus christ i want a do-over on my childhood i want christian upbringing 2.0 i am i am owed this by the universe and i will have it also uh, this is I, I don't know if this would you know cause like more burnings at the stake but shouldn't the transforming uh jesus like shouldn't it be like jesus turns into the wafer and the wafer turns back into jesus oh oh that's interesting oh. that is interesting yes that might yes. be more uh more technically difficult from a robotic standpoint <laughs> Figure it out, Christian. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to get a kind of a original Transformer sound wave thing where it's like, how can he be the size of a boombox and a giant robot? Shut up. That was the exact. That was the exact sound, if I remember. It was the. Yeah. Well, so yeah, there's a lot going on on that one. Um, I, I will point out to to Jed, it's probably incumbent on you to do what everyone else who uh, is. Phil deficient their childhood toys does now in the year of our Lord 2021. And that's to get out that credit card, head over to eBay and see if you can't start making up for lost time. That's... I mean, if I must also don't forget to go on social media and uh, complain about how people making current properties are ruining your childhood somehow. Dude, I'm about to send a group picture of the cast of salty. This is unruinable. This is so bad, there is no way it could be made worse. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> dude. Oh, dude. No. If I must, uh, Salty, Saltina, Melody, Harmony, and Rhythm. And I don't remember what the dog's name is, Jed. Dude, I'm impressed that you know all of those. That's oh, incredible. I know, I know them all, baby. <laughs> okay, the confusing thing about, to me, is... They are all books to describe the listener. One is just a dog. The dog is in the book for some reason. But they are blue, yellow, green, purple, and orange. Yet somehow they are all definitely Caucasian. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure Uh, how the animators pulled that off, but it's unmistakable. (laughs) I mean, this is the creepiest looking. We've just taken like a book. It's like a sort of like a Gumby ripoff kind of thing. If you've ever seen Gumby, oh, very much so, very very much so. That's right, friends. The Christians took Gumby and made it lamer. <laughs> <laughs> also, Jed has now sent us in the group chat what appears to be a live action version of Salty, and it yeah. is nightmare fuel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. It's so. It's like. He's got these buggity eyes, and it's like he's grinning even though nothing's funny, and it's like, <laughs> dude, this guy's living in my nightmares, dude. Yeah. So there's that. Um, we sure. do now have a Christian Transformer, which is, you know, Super Jesus Christ. Again, we, we as we pointed out with the, uh, the Super Jesus uh, jacked action figure, uh, your your church nursery slash middle school room could do a lot worse. Absolutely, well, it, it gets it's and and I think one of the things we learned about the about the that action figure was it's cooler in the Brazilian Portuguese. Yeah, as, as some things are. Now our next follow up, uh, 
sent in to us is, and we've had fun before with the uh, the the lists that the Christians have on the sandwich board of all the people that are you know uh, on a grease shoot to hell, and we've been provided with what I think is the most comprehensive one we've ever encountered. Yeah, there's like fifty things on this list. If nothing else, other than being a weirdo, this is just bad protesting because you would have to get close and maybe get on your reading glasses to get all of these. You're just protesting too many things, friend. Yeah, you got to focus. This is just mad marketing. But uh, we, uh, gentlemen, feel free to scan and find your 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 uh, favorites here because there's so many of them. Uh, you got some new things that we haven't really hit. There's the specificity. Is admirable. It starts off as you would whores, whoremongers, um, adulterers, adulteresses, which is, mm. I guess, inclusive, but also like I don't know if I, I think like it's perf- it's proper to refer to both male and female actors as actors now. So sure, yes, maybe there's an extra dose of misogyny in this one, which is fun. Mm. Porn loving masturbators, which I like. It doesn't say anything about like porn tolerating masturbators. Like I'm like, <laughs> sure. oh, not really. <laughs> I'm not thrilled about the genre, but, you know, whatever. Uh, sodomites, da, da, da. girly men, manly women. Sure, yes. So there's a chance this was written by 80s SNL characters Hans and Franz, <laughs> who are the only other people in life I've ever heard use the word girly man. They are here to pump you up. I think one of my problems with this list is that Party Animals is listed, Matt, and we all know from the 80s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song that Michelangelo is a party dude, and I can't abide the idea that Jesus doesn't love Michelangelo. That is a deep theological point. Well, and I hate to disappoint a lot of people out there who are Patrick Swayze fans, but also on this list is Dirty Dancers. Look, nobody puts baby in a corner, Glenn. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) At some point in this episode, we're going to run out of 80s franchises to reference, but we're not there yet. I think we're at an all-time high. I mean, it's got, uh, what is it, rock and rollers. Sure. You know, better people. Merciless devils. Yeah. Money-hungry career pursuers. There's the prideful scoffers. Yes, yes. As we pointed out before on these lists, the the love of a modifying adjective really causes some uh, some confusion on these. Because what if you're a humble scoffer? Are you good? Ah, yeah. My favorite one, I think, just for there's got to be a story behind it. Two faced church members, which yes. might as well have in parentheses Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is a cult witches, which I'm like so do. You, are you accepting other kinds of witches? Like Disney witches are cool. Good to cover your bases, man. I, I I don't know if it's too late for this, Matt. I'm kind of stepping back a little bit, but Please. it occurred to me earlier when we were talking about the action figures that what if the Christians made a Kirk Cameron action figure with like uh interchangeable sweaters and like uh, like and he has you push the button on his back and he throws a pizza at you. Yes. Oh, real yes. pizza flinging action. Well, speaking of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you, and the 80s, as apparently we are, is the theme for tonight. Uh, I'm sure there's a warehouse full of those. You guys remember the uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like truck that like shot little pizza discs out of it? Oh, yeah. You yeah. just retrofit those. Maybe get the Kirk Cameron mobile. <laughs> just firing off respect in every conceivable direction. 
But then you have to pay extra for the Chick-fil-A power-up pack. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, dude. Yeah, what I want to know is, is this list really just comprised of people who've made fun of the sign? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's kind of a, every time they go home from every protest with, well, that guy had a red shirt on. You're going on the sign. He's got, that's right. I you guarantee know. you, he's got a la- like a label maker in his back pocket. You crack yeah. on the sign, he instantly cranks out a new label and, and puts it on the sign. Yeah, as ever, we on the show, we, we encourage hobbies, we encourage interests, but uh, if not this, <laughs> learn, to, learn to weave, maybe take yeah. up an instrument, do something else. Yeah, absolutely. No, don't do this. Find, find something better to do with your time. Maybe uh, create some custom Jesus Transformers, because that guy seems to be having an absolute ball. Yeah. <laughs> and on that, we will declare emergency off. If you have anything you'd like to uh, <clears throat> follow, up as a, follow up with us about any crazy thing you see online, um, you can reach us through our various social media channels. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, at TheBridgeCHI. We're on Instagram, indeed, as... The Bridge Chicago. Check those. Follow, interact, send us the crazy, crazy things you find out there because now that's one less thing I have to do, and I think we're all in favor of that. You can also find us online at missionusa.com slash bridgebox, $8 a month, and get some cool stuff in your inbox first every month. And you can find us at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago every Sunday night for our Bridge Live service. And if you can't join us live, you can join us whenever it's convenient for you at the videos tab over that same Facebook page. We do hope you will join us. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have us all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch with us. Or you can scroll down to your episode description and click the links there. Our first question comes in and says, I'm confused about something. If Jesus has the power to save us, why do I need to put any work into my walk? Isn't the power to resist or do well in me already? With the power of God, why would I ever fall short? I know that's not right, but I don't really know why. What's going on here? And a, another really interesting and insightful question. And Lee, where would we start off? So sharp. I mean, it's just, just such a great question. And my favorite part about the question is your ability to say, something is off about this. I'm not sure what it is. Let's, let's workshop it. That's it, Glenn said this in the last episode. It's super true. The people that listen to the show and write in questions are the coolest people ever. That's a really, really cool question. Really great for somebody to just say, this smells funny. Can anybody help me work out the why? I wish that more people asked that question. Um, I, you know, I can't, I can't promise like a, a totally clear, like this is it. This is the definitive thing, but I have some ideas and I have some ideas kind of based on my own experience and just kind of, just kind of watching the way the Lord works with people. I think obviously Jesus is like powerful enough. The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to where if he wanted to, the moment that you got saved, he could just make you like, you're like, you know, you're not like susceptible to temptation anymore. I mean, it's something that's going to happen whenever we pass away, we're going to go to heaven. We're not going to have that the same relationship with the sin nature and all that kind of stuff. But he has left that in us, and he wants us to work this thing out through the course of our life. Why would that be? It's such a cool question. This is my thought on this, is if, there's, if, he's, if he's not doing something that he can do, 
then um, then he must have a reason for it. And I kind of think that that part of his reason, part of his reasoning here is the relationship itself. That Jesus, what he really, really wants with you is kind of something we talked about in the last episode, which is he wants a friendship with you. He wants a really long-term relationship. He wants to be friends with you, and he wants to be friends for a really long time. He wants to be really close friends. One of the things that he knows, just like you know and anybody knows, is that friendships, a deep relationship, is built on trust. Trust is not something that you can just give somebody. Trust trust is something that needs to be earned. And so I think that part of what's going going on here, part of what could be going on here is is that Jesus um in in a kind of in a play to earn your trust says things to you like, "Okay, I I want you to live this part of your life out in this way." And then he lets you make the choice. Um you may choose to build your life on his his uh, ideas, his opinions, his commands, you may choose not to do that. And then he wants you to look at how that went. Um, I, I want you to handle your relationships in these ways. I want you to handle your money in these ways. I want you to think about uh, your relationship to your time and your energy and, and all that kind of stuff in these ways. And then you live your life. Some things you might choose his way and some things you might choose another way. And then he would want you to look at that and say, how did that go? Do I have more fulfillment or less after that? Do I have more abundance in my life or less? He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Am I having full life? I think what we would find is if I'm honest about it, when I walk according to Jesus's ways, I have more joy, I have more fulfillment, I have more purpose, I have, I have more richness and fullness in my life. When I walk in ways that are not his ways, what I find is I think I'm going to do the thing that I want to do. It winds up usually being uh, more lame, um, less fulfilling. It winds up usually looking like what the world thinks is going to work for me, but it winds up not working as well. And I think he wants us to figure those things out so that he can, over a very long period of time, over slowly by like by little moments and little choices and decisions, and then us looking at the pattern of our life and, and how it's going, and do I have more fulfillment or less, that he would earn trust with us. He wants me to work it out, to wrestle with temptation, to... to to wrestle with the things he's leading me in, to sometimes do them and sometimes not, so that he can earn trust with me, so that I can learn that actually when I walk with Jesus, when I walk in his, the, the, the kind of life that he wants me to live, I do find more fulfillment. He's actually trustworthy. The, the ideas that he has work out for me for a more fulfilling more gratifying life. I think that's a piece of what's going on here. I'm not saying that's the full picture. I love your question. I love the idea of us looking at why, but it could be that he is slowly over time uh, building the trust of that's going to be the bedrock of this relationship, this friendship that he wants with us for a very, very long time. That is a really interesting base to start off on on this question. I think it's a really good one. And Jed, where would you take it from there? Well, Lee's already given you great stuff, so I'll just add a couple of quick things. The first is Christians are called, and this is a phrase from a very smart person, Christians are called to participate responsibly in what God is doing. 
Uh, God is the one doing it. He has a role for us to play. We are meant to play that role in a responsible way. Um, I, I think you can track with that. I think you can roll with that. And um, there's a million examples of, of how that works just in normal life. But I mean, as an example, if people, if your friends want to throw you a party, you still have to decide to show up for, you know, the, the party to happen. Like you didn't organize it. You didn't earn it. It's not that you, it's, it's just a gift being given to you by people who love you, but you, you still do have to like walk in the door so they can shout surprise. And then there can be a party. I mean, there, there, there is a role for you to play. And I, I wonder if part of where we get confused on some of this stuff is that particularly in the reformed tradition of Christianity, reformed Christians have gotten so afraid of the idea of earning salvation. They really don't want people to think that anyone earned salvation, which no one does, that they've kind of built up some fairly silly absurdities in in the way that they are inclined to talk about things or want people to look at things. The Bible is actually pretty straightforward on this stuff. Salvation is a gift. It's a free gift that God gives you because he loves you. You, you. you didn't earn it. You can't earn it. The end. Also, God obviously wants you to participate in the life that he created you for. I mean, like, you know, if you've got a kid and you want to, you know, take them to the zoo and give them a wonderful day where they look at animals and there's popcorn and whatnot, and the kid refuses to get out of bed, well, that's, we've, we've thrown a monkey wrench into the plans, you know? I mean, um, there's not an issue of, you know, uh, uh, who is all powerful in the situation and who earned what. There's a parent, love their kid, want to give them a really cool blessing in their life, but the, the kid does have to choose to, <laughs> to participate in the process. But again, you know, there's a lot of stuff around Reformed Christianity where we're trying to make more of this point than is exactly, exactly warranted. And so we, we end up overstating things, and we we wind up with a lot of philosophical discussions that, that we don't really, really need to have. God is the one who saves you 100%. God is the one who sanctifies you. That is to say, he makes you more like himself, 100%. The Bible's clear on that. Um, the, you can read the book of Galatians. It's, it's really, really straightforward. But of course, the Bible also teaches us to work out our salvation in a reverent way, to participate in, in what God is doing. Uh, that's a day-by-day thing. It's something that, in fact, we, we do need God's strength to do, but our role there is to choose to ask him for that strength and to choose to receive it. And it, it becomes this really beautiful relationship. But there, there, there is a role for you. Um, God has good stuff for you that is, that is purely a gift, but there is um, a, a part for you to play in receiving it. It's all good. There, there's actually not anything contradictory in there, and we learn how to better and better receive and take a hold of those gifts and those blessings one day at a time. That is absolutely right. And Glenn, where are we closing this out? Well, yeah, I think you're asking a, a good question here. And I'd, I'd like, you know, per what these guys are saying, I'd like to kind of take this question and turn it on its head in the sense of, you know, you're right. If we have the power of God within us, then why would we fall short? But I think the 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 sort of the, the return question on that is, if the power of God is available to us, why do we not go and get it and receive it? Along the lines of what Joe was just talking about, you know, the you know the kid that stays in bed rather than, than you know goes and enjoys all the richness that the parent has planned for them. 
I think that's a fascinating question because we do starve ourselves of blessings. We do fail to receive the strength that we need to deal with temptation, to deal with struggles that we're having. Uh, I know when when things are going wrong, my instinct is to be angry and rehearse that anger and replay it in my mind over and over again until it just builds and builds and builds. If you came to me in that moment and say, what logical reason would you have for not forgiving this person and receiving peace? Wouldn't peace feel better? Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be healthier? Wouldn't it you know, do less to wreck your health and all of those things? In those moments, the, we can't really apply a lot of theology to that because it's it's the human condition. It's emotions. It's uh, you know wrestling with things and uh, working through them in order to get to that place where we do give them up and we do receive something better in return. But we, I think, all of us as Christians need to acknowledge we are constantly, constantly, constantly way behind what we need in terms of strength, in terms of uh, courage, in terms of uh, faith, all of those kinds of things. We All those virtues we, we tend to run short on. Um, I, I think part of that, I, 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 you know, I want you to examine it for yourself. I'm going to make a couple suggestions to, just to get your thinking going. But I think one thing that might be going on there is... <laughs> Let's say you were good in school. I I didn't have that particular curse, but let's say you were good in school and you kind of, that formed your template for life, that this is what you're good at, this is a way to succeed at things. Um, If you are a good athlete and you're used to measuring your performance by what the score was or what your stats were and those kinds of things you get used to thinking in those terms. And here's the problem with that is you're measuring yourself as opposed to asking how much am I receiving from outside of myself or how much am I receiving from God in order to accomplish what he has for me to do. Uh, I think when we look inwardly in that way and we are trying to perform and we're trying to make the grade and we're Mm. trying to get the high score then we're not going and getting anything because that's contrary to the purpose. The purpose is, what am I achieving here? And that's actually not what the Christian life is about at all. As Lee is pointing out, it's about intimacy, it's connection, it's drawing strength from the the closeness of that relationship. A lot of us, a lot of us, a lot of us have a tendency to overestimate our own sanctification. Yep. That's kind of... That's kind of a weird thing. I mean, here's a way to test that. The next time you do really poorly at something, whatever it is, ask yourself, am I surprised and shocked and disappointed that I did poorly? Or does that seem about, you know, par for the course? This has happened many times before. I'm growing at a certain fixed, slow and steady rate. This is about, you know, in keeping with that. By contrast, when you do really well at something, like you really, you know, get a hold of some faith and you really overcome something, you forgive that person, and it's like, you know, normally you just wallow in the anger, but this time you just said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to get a piece about this. I'm going to move on. 
Do you surprise yourself with that? Do you say, wow, uh-huh. that's pretty good? <laughs> I think if, if you have that attitude, you're probably on target. You know, if, if it seems like, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, normally, I can't be expected to do that well. Uh, I think let's get a, a better read on the actual level of sanctification we have, because that's going to allow us to set our, our expectations in the right place. Wonderful stuff from all these guys on that very, very interesting question. We're going to move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, I get into a cycle of thinking about the mistakes I've made and then feeling shame about them, then trying to numb myself or beat up on myself, and then going back to thinking about the mistakes. I can't seem to get out of it. How can God help me with that? And another great question, and Jed, I'd love to get you to start us off because we've talked a lot about cyclical stuff on the show, and it comes up a lot in the work all four of us do with people who are in addiction and that kind of thing. But I love this very specific thing of, I recognize I'm in a cycle. I want to be out of the cycle. Now what? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think interestingly, the answer is going to begin almost exactly where Glenn left off uh, in our previous question. So my query to you is, do you understand the mistakes you've made? Mm. You know that you have made them, but do you understand them? Do you understand what led to making those mistakes? Do you understand how you got into the problems that you had? Do you really and truly and in a deep way understand the mistakes that you've made? Because much of the time, maybe not all of the time for every single person, but much of the time, shame is a sign that you don't understand the things you've done. You don't understand the mistakes that you've made. And um, we should fix that. We should get to a place where. We understand what we've done. That's not to say that we will remove culpability or responsibility. You still did what you did, but you can feel a sense of regret for your actions while not feeling a sense of shame about them. And I think that's actually a really good goal. I think it's it's great to get to a place of saying, you know what, I wish that I had known then the things that I know now and I could have made different decisions, but I recognize that who I was and where I was I made a bad decision, but it it was about as good as I knew how to do at the time. And I'd like to explore that for the moment because that's really important. This is something that I think Christians really struggle with because it feels like it's letting people off the hook. It's not, and it's super true, is most people make the best decision they can in the moment that they're in. Mm. Let me repeat that. Most people, most of the time, make the best decision they can in the moment that they're in. Now, that decision is based on what they know, it's based on what they believe, it's based on what they fear, and it's based on what they imagine. And synthesizing all of those things, they are making the decision that to them is best. And I think that all of us have an obligation to be understanding about that, including towards ourselves. Now, what you know may have been wrong, what you believe may have been wrong, what you fear may have been fictional, what you imagine may have been a complete fabrication, but that doesn't change the fact that to you in that moment, there was a synthesis of knowledge and belief and fear and imagination that said, this is the right move. This is the way that you should go. And you said, all right, if we can accept that, and I really want to encourage you to think about that because it's really important. The key is to figure out how do we change what we know and believe and fear yeah. and imagine. It's not to try and beat up on ourselves because that's that's not going to work. I, this, I think, may sound weird if you never thought about it before, but very few people sit down. They've, they've got a moment of decision in their lives, and they say, option A is the wrong choice. It is bad. 
It is morally reprehensible. It will hurt people. I don't need to do it. And I have a much better option that I'm completely comfortable taking. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do option A anyway. That may happen, but that's pretty darn rare, just so you know. Most people, when they choose the option that's going to be destructive and it's going to hurt them, it's going to hurt others, to them, that's about the best option that they've got. Now, again, if we look at what they think they know and what they believe and what they fear and what they imagine, we will find some holes in there that if we could work with and correct, we would get a different outcome. But this idea of, I just love evil, does not play out, man. That's that's not how life works. And you probably sense that to be true about other people, but are you applying that same degree of compassion and understanding to yourself? Mm. I, I doubt that you are. I think that part of what is keeping you in this cycle is saying, I've done these things that, that I regret that, that hurt me and hurt other people. And I don't fully understand what led me to make those decisions. And on that basis, I feel a sense of shame. And maybe, maybe I'm just the worst. Maybe I'm just awful. Maybe I'm some kind of monster. And I don't want that to be true, but I don't know what other explanation would work. Well, that's, that's actually the prescription for a vicious cycle where we feel bad about ourselves and we beat up on ourselves and then we look for something to comfort ourselves and we rinse and repeat. One of the key ways to get off of that is to say, shame only can exist in darkness. If we want to begin yep. to get rid of shame, we need to drag things into the light and look at yep. them in the light of day. And that's almost certainly going to boil down to examining what did I think I know at the time? What did I believe at the time? What did I fear at the time? And what did I imagine at the time? If we can begin to let reality and the Lord weigh in on knowledge, belief, fear, and imagination, we will have much more peace about our past and much more reasonable hope for our future. That is an excellent, excellent place to start that off. Glenn, where do we take it from there? Well, I I really love what Jed said there. I, I think that's one of those go back and listen to it again things. That was really, really sharp. You know, he here's you know, if if you're working as we do with people who uh, struggle with addiction, the first thing that we say about that this kind of situation is you need to grab some acceptance. Uh, you know, we're having a talk about this kind of thing uh, recently in a, a staff gathering. One of our deacons was was talking about the importance of acceptance, and I, I think we really, really struggle with accepting uh, a, a negative or unpleasant thing about ourselves. And let's take some time to ask about that and think about it. In other words. We have this weird way of saying, okay, I have an image of myself that is not so much true as it is kind of idealized. So Mm. I've come up with a version of myself that doesn't exist, that is better than me, and I'm mad at the real me for not being that um, idealized version of me. And I spend most of my time pretending I am that ideal version, and then when I'm not, I'm mad. Um, But what would be so bad about just dealing with the real person you are? What would be, you know, if you say, you know, I'm kind of a jerk sometimes, or I'm a messy person, or I'm not really smart about math, or whatever it is, what's the big deal? 
why why does it have to be inflated? Why does it have to be sort of this exaggeratedly positive thing that we're trying to work our way towards? That's not the same as having a goal for being uh, in a state of improvement or uh, evolving, growing, and developing, those kinds of things. Uh, those are about accepting where we are in saying, I can do a little better, and then celebrating every bit of better that we achieve. Having this sense of, uh, you know, I, I constantly am upset about these mistakes because I thought I was over that. I was past that. I thought that wasn't me anymore. Is really, a can, the, the, the lesson that should be learned there is, I don't know myself very well. I don't have a realistic view of myself. And that my real self is is just not that bad. <laughs> flawed, flawed in human, yes, but but not not that bad. Um, also, this is a super key question, and I really want you to spend some time thinking about this. Are you absolutely sure? Are you in your mind absolutely sure you know what is a big deal to God and what is not a big deal to God? So much of the agony that we torture ourselves over say, I know this must just totally upset God in the biggest way. I looked at this website and he must be just going crazy, you know. All right, man, are you sure you know what's a big deal to the Lord and what's not? All the stuff we've been talking about with intimacy, with love, with having a connection with him, that's big deal stuff. And as Jez pointing out, that shame can be the thing that that ruins that. But some of the things that we're dealing with are really just symptoms of larger situations. And we have a way of being overwhelmed with those symptoms because they're just obvious. They've manifested themselves in our physical lives. But we're ignoring the more simple, fundamental, basic struggles that we have that are are driving all of that negative behavior and those bad habits and those cycles of behavior. And we never really get to any progress because all that shame and, and wallowing in the guilt of all that doesn't give us any illumination. They mm-hmm. don't shed any, any light on what we're going through here. Final point on this, and just super simple... There's making mistakes while trying to make forward progress, making an honest effort for progress and just stumbling, fumbling, messy, falling off, getting back on, trying to break cycles, sort of breaking them, not quite breaking them. That's one thing. Everything I just described there, that's that's one side of it. Messy, but some forward progress. Do you know to how do you know how to measure that versus someone who's not moving forward, period? I want you to feel good about the fact that you're trying to make forward progress. Yep. It's not smooth. It's not easy. It is messy, but it's forward progress. You're getting where you're going. You're learning from your mistakes. You're improving. It may be small. It may be slow, but that's way better than being stuck in religiosity. Mm. A really cool place to take that. And Lee, where do we close this out? Well, these guys have completely and totally covered it. I, I just want to hit one final little piece, and that is that, and this is going to seem tangential a little bit, but it, it's it's really not, so hang with me. Um, you know, after being uh, married, uh, I'm a couple months away from having been married for 20 years. 
And if a young couple is getting married, one of the first things that I would tell them is, hey, when you find yourself in a difficult conversation, um, the number one thing that I, the number one thing I want to give you here is make it your goal to try to understand this from their perspective. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever the conversation is, go really, really hard on trying to, even if you're not very good at it, try to see the way that they see this. Um, try, try to get yourself inside their brain and say, how, what, the thing that I just said, how did they hear that? How did they feel that? How did that come across to them? So your relationship with Jesus, it's, it's a deep and a long relationship. We've been talking about this ad nauseum on this episode, and it's super important that Jesus wants an intimate friendship. What I want to encourage you to do in this difficult moment is I want you to try to see this from Jesus's point of view. Um, and, and here's the thing about Jesus that I think we sometimes forget. Jesus is super old. Like, he's seen it all. Your sin is super boring to Jesus. He's paid for all of it. There's nothing new under the sun. I don't think he wants to talk about it a ton. I think guilt is boring. I think the, I think that if you were to ask him, like, hey, do you want me to wallow in the in the guilt of, he would say, can we please not do that? Can we just please? Do you understand how old I am? Do you understand how much, it, it's it's like the, uh, in the Monty Python, oh, I've had it with the groveling. Like, just don't, don't do the, don't do the groveling, you know, when God appears from the sky or whatever. And it's just like, I, th- look, can we just not do that? Can we talk about anything else? I'm super old. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm just not interested in the guilt and the groveling. I just want us to take a beat to think about this from Jesus's perspective. He has paid for all of it. He said literally the punishment is all gone from it. And exactly as these guys said, if we can get past that piece of it, then we can start to get some wisdom. We can start to get some strategies. We can start to get some understanding. But if we take a minute to just see this from his point of view, we realize he's really just not that interested in people beating themselves up with guilt and shame about stuff. He's not shocked by our sin. He's not surprised by it. It's not, there's, it's not novel. It's not creative or new. It's, he's seen everything a million times. I think what he wants is for us to relax, chill, and let's talk about the why exactly as Jed and Glenn are laying out here. But yeah, let's let's do that. In this relationship, let's take a minute to think about this from his perspective and realize there's other stuff that he wants to talk about. Excellent stuff there from all these guys. We're going to jump to our final question here. It comes in and says, what's the deal with prophets? Are they people who can see the future? I've heard pastors be referred to or refer to themselves as prophets. I even have a friend who referred to her husband who is in ministry as, quote, like a prophet. I assume they were talking about just thinking they're great or holy, but the prophet thing seems really, really weird to me. And another really, really cool question. And Glenn, where would we start off with this one? Well, yeah, uh, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, ground here that we're, that's shaky that we need to look at and and get right here. So let's start with the Bible itself and and have a sense, uh, particularly a New Testament sense, of what this word uh, uh, prophetes means. That's the that's a Greek version of the word, 
Uh, so there's two different parts of this uh, compound word. Uh, uh, the the pro means before, and the the fetes is the same uh, suffix as uh, epiphany, which is also a Greek word, obviously. Uh, and uh, epi just means on, and the 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 phanos there, the the a suffix means to be illuminated, to to bring something to light, to to uh, suddenly have a revelation, uh, an understanding of what's going on. So uh, an epiphany is like literally the light dawned on me. You know, this, the light bulb go- went on over my head is very literally what epiphany means, that illumination. Uh, prophetes means the same things, the same same suffix there of uh, illumination, but the the again the pro means before, so it's that idea of you see something coming before it actually happens. Uh, now the way I define that seems kind of broad, that that could apply to all sorts of different kinds of situations, um, and it would be different levels of detail of what you saw coming and whatever. So that could be something more in the vein of a general. Uh, prognostication or, or prediction uh, down to a, a specific prediction of this thing will happen on this day under these circumstances and so forth. And when you use, read the way the word uh, prophetes is used in the Bible, the way that's used also in Greek culture to get a sense of what that Greek word means, it's also used in that very general sort of way. Uh, so I think um, the problem that we have with this is it has come to mean uh, someone who makes, again, the specific predictions of what's going to happen. You know, this, this, uh, these are the future events that are going to take place and so on and so forth. Uh, I think it's important for us to recognize that, again, that's that's sort of um, a slight misunderstanding what really that word means. Mm. So that's part of the problem that we have here. I think the second part of the problem we have here is the, the, the from the New Testament forward, there are constant warnings about people who are trying to uh, puff themselves up, trying to assert themselves as leaders and people to be looked to and admired and given money to and all of that because of some sort of spiritual thing that makes them special and advanced and what have you. If you so if you look at Colossians 2.18, it says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility, so that's somebody who's playing at I'm just a humble Christian who just happens to have these gifts and whatever, you know. So people, somebody who's, who's pretending to be humble but is actually uh, prideful about stuff. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. So it's this idea of somebody who's puffing themselves up and talking about all these spiritual visions that they have, but they're disqualifying you. I'm qualified. You're not qualified. I have visions. You don't. I'm. I have a prophetic gift. You don't. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. 
So it's the idea that's not what spirituality is. Spirituality doesn't come with that self-aggrandizing, I am a big deal, check me out. Unfortunately, 90% of people, I more than 90% of people I know who would call themselves prophets are clearly on some kind of a, a head trip like that. And the, the Bible is very clear about that stuff. I think the final word I have in this, and this is, I think, the crucial thing, I'll let these other guys uh, dive deeper into this, is it really comes down to where are you telling me this word is coming from? If you're saying, I'm looking at things that are going on and trends, and I have a feeling that it's going to come out this way, that's fine. If you say, I've prayed about some of this, and I have a vague sense of the way this might be going, that's fine. But if you say, God told me to tell you this, that this is going to happen, and this is what it's going to be like, that's really in a very different category. And the Bible does talk about people who are doing that in a false way, being a false prophet, uh, someone who would say, this is what God wants you to know, I'm speaking for God. And not only is are those things not coming true, but we can go to God and say, God, is this person speaking for you? Do, do you need an, uh, an advocate to speak for you in this moment? I'd like you to speak to me directly and tell me what the truth is. If I'm doing that and it doesn't line up with what I'm hearing, you, you're dealing with a false prophet situation, and the Bible is very clear on what's wrong with that. So I think that's where we need to start off drawing those lines. A really good place to start that off, as a matter of fact. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there, because one of the things I think that Glenn is definitely pointing us to is the idea that this pro- prophetic thing is often a way for someone to uh, bestow very special status on themselves. Mm. So, you know, we have the thing of, you know, this, this lady's husband works in ministry and she probably often off, definitely thinks her husband's a, a big deal and is, is an, a really good uh, his job, which is a perfectly uh, reasonable thing. And one, we hope that you would think of your husband, but then there's, but he's got this little something extra. So if he does something that seems a little weird, Probably just the profit part, right? <laughs> yeah. When I was coming up in 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 church stuff, there was a there was a fad for a little while of the and and I'm sure that Jay will remember this, especially since we both were partakers of salty, but the spiritual gift survey. And it was like the you know there was there were there were different people that had uh you would t- basically take a quiz and you would find out what your spiritual gift was. And there was one category of person who had the spiritual gift of prophet, and basically that just gave uh, people the the green light to kind of be a jerk, um, just to speak into your life and say, um, "Hey, I'm going to tell you something that nobody else has the guts to tell you." And it was just like, and then they they kind of sanctified it by saying, "Well, my spiritual gift is prophecy. Since my spiritual gift is prophecy, I get to be a jerk face." Um, and as Glenn's pointing out, that's not what this word is about. A, a prophet was a person who basically kind of had a, a higher security clearance. Uh, they got invited to meetings that other people didn't. Um, God told them things to tell other people. Sometimes that was about the future. Sometimes that was about what was going on in in people or whatever. But that was not a deal. Um, th- that was not a deal where you just have a license or a green light to just to be uncool to people. For some reason, that has become a title in the current state of the church where you just get to be uncool. 
You get to be the person who uh, jumps in people's faces and tells them, you know, like it is. Uh, and that's not what a prophet was about. Sometimes God might have had a hard word for people, but what the what people have done in the church is that they've used that as a position of authority, and they've used it as a place where they don't have to put, they don't have to pump the brakes on certain parts of their personality that sometimes the Holy Spirit would want them to slow down on. Um, I think that that what we've got to always do is make sure that our heart is to serve people. Our heart is to. Um, our heart is to be gentle. Our heart is to be humble. Our heart is that if the Lord really puts a word on on our heart for somebody else's life, that we would do that with gentleness. We would do that with patience. We would do that with kindness. And we would do that where we have permission to do it. But we shouldn't have people in the community who just walk around guns blazing, just telling it like it is. Um, our heart should always be like the heart of Christ, gentle, humble, servant-hearted. And we can't use words that are in the Bible to let us get away with all kinds of nonsense. That was all excellent stuff right there. And Jed, I'd love to get you to close us out here. And where would you take us? Well, the one thing that I would add is that I think there's there's another thing that's prophetic that, that doesn't usually get added into these kind of discussions. But I think it's actually the one that really, really matters, which is I think that love is prophetic. Now, let me tell you what I mean. Love gives us a vision of a future that that has not arrived yet, but that could exist. Love calls people to a version of themselves, to a, a higher self that they are not today, but that they could yet become. I think we should take a minute and and think about that together because it's it's a pretty wild thing. I mean, to really love other people is on some level to proclaim the future to them. To, to really love other people is to envision a future them and point them towards it and live at least on some level as though they are already that person. To, to put it in, in different words, to really love other people is to have and to live out a prophetic voice. That's the amazing, amazing thing about love is that love, it is true that love never fails and it is true that love never dies. It is also true that love is not bound by time. Um, mm -hmm. Love may be the one thing that, that human beings have that in a sense allows us to exist outside of time because we both – when we love people, we accept who they are today and we treasure who they are today, but we also see who they could be and who we believe they will be in the future, and we celebrate that as well. And we we treat them on some level as though they are already that. So there's, there's this wild way in which love just creates this dynamic that exists outside of time. I know that's really trippy, but but I actually really think that's true. And I think that that is the kind of prophet, and that is the kind of prophecy that all Christians should aspire to, is one where we accept people as they are today, but we also um, believe in who they could become, and we're willing to work uh, to support them and encourage them in becoming that person. Um, and and we, we don't just do it with our words, we do it with our actions, we do it with our lives. There's this really amazing quote from the writer Goethe that says, when we treat people as if they were what they should be, we improve them as far as they can be improved. 
Um, mm. If you can dig it, that tracks uh, 100% with everything that Paul wrote about God's love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, if, you, if you really want to be a prophet, love people. Um, you, will, you will change their present, you will change how they think about their past, and you will definitely change their future. In, in a sense, you will, you will actually speak it into being, and there is nothing more amazing than that. Mm. Absolutely right. It was only a matter of time before Jed drug his love of Sturm and Drung, German romanticism onto this podcast, and he did it with great aplomb right there. Uh, Great stuff from all these guys. The one thing I would add on the end of this is going back to that idea that uh, profit is one of those things that's trying to confer some kind of special status, be that because it's someone who thinks they have a word or someone who thinks they just uh, have a very special connection and all that stuff. Um, there's no status. We talk about this a lot on the show. If you, if you love Jesus, you love Jesus. There's no super secret club. There's no uh, platinum frequent flyer lounge. So whether that be a megachurch pastor saying, oh, well, I said that awful stuff because I'm just an ang- I was just an angry young prophet and, or someone who is trying to justify the power they have, or this is another way that tends to go, justify the power they don't have, but they think they should by saying, oh, I'm just unappreciated in my time and it's coming and all that. Uh, If you go back through the the prophets in the Old Testament, one thing you'll find is they very rarely refer to themselves as prophets. Uh, It's kind of an ex post facto thing thrown on there. So uh, it's a title. It's great. You want to give it to yourself if you want to be, you know, you want to just call yourself the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion or uh, the Last Samurai or whatever it is. That's, you know. (laughs) <laughs> We're all for flair on this show, but that doesn't mean just because someone's going on with that doesn't mean you have to join them in that journey. If you have a question for us, say at podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask if you want to keep that entirely anonymous. I'm going to tell you this song this week. I think we need to rock a little bit. We're going to tell you a song featuring our friend Lynn's Honeyman called No He Wasn't. Got yeah. that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, we may have done most of the things on your legalistic placard, but we know how to love our listeners, so put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yes, <laughs> right. Two men go to the chapel, two men go to the church. The first steps up to the microphone to give the speech that he's rehearsed. He clears his throat and begins to brag about how clean he keeps his nose. He's well behaved and generous.
buzzard. Then God spoke up and weighed him, said his peace and made his move. Said that second guy's alright with me, yeah, there's freedom in the truth. Son, you 